Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome in. Hopefully I sound a little bit better. I don't know how much better, but we'll get through it like we did yesterday. I don't know how much better than it is. I will say this. A lot of, and this is just a voice thing, not a sickness thing, but a lot of the advice that I gathered from you yesterday directed me to something called a medicine ball. And it's not on the menu. It's Starbucks. So amid the chaos over at the Brownsburg Kroger today at about noon because I went over to see Joe Childers in car X to make sure that I am completely winterized and ready to go for this weekend. I asked for the medicine ball, and they concocted the medicine ball, and it is the worst-tasting thing this side of Jaeger. I said, can you just not give me a bottle of Jaegermeister instead? It is the absolute worst taste. I don't know what it's doing, but who knows how I'm going to sound coming up at about 5 o'clock today. So all, all the more reason to stay locked in. Who knows? But it is called the medicine ball. I don't know what is in it. And they mixed it up, they handed it to me, and it tastes terrible. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's like that bad tasting medicine back in the day. Remember the medicine we used to have to taste before they made everything taste like bubble gum for kids nowadays? Like my kids never had to taste anything bad. It was always tasting like bubble gum or cherry or grape. Yeah, back then it tasted like complete crap for us. But it is the medicine ball, everybody. So a shout-out to everybody and the advice that you gave me yesterday for coming out to Franklin and hanging out on a blue Monday with Buffalo Wild Wings. Had a great time. Talked a lot about the Colts situation, a lot about the Pacers, a little bit about IU as well. We'll gather all and do it once again today and take some of your calls. I know we're a little not worthy for your calls, I don't think, yesterday as much as we wanted to, considering what had taken place over the weekend. But we do owe you some time, and we will give you that time coming up a little bit later on. You know, he's a Vikings fan. He's also our data scientist from PFF. And if he's smart right now, he is gathering information. He is knocking around numbers. He is data analyzing what in the world happened in the first half and then what happened in the second half. Could not be for both teams. 
more Jekyll and Hyde on Saturday than that particular game. When you think about it, too, the Vikings even threw, Kirk Cousins threw an interception of the second half. Jalen Rager didn't continue a route. And Cousins threw it to the spot where he was supposed to be, and he wasn't there, hence the interception. But they didn't do absolutely everything right, even in the second half. But still, I can't imagine there being two completely different halves of play. How many times has that happened in the history of the NFL, you think, to that level? That's what's amazing. More so amazing than anything else is that. It's not different than it is. Hey, get that Zerbiak piece, if you find it here in a second. Kyle Handy, because I'm going to play that a little bit later on. Somebody asked me about that. Uh, we are out to Wally Zerbiak. Wally Zerbiak is a college basketball analyst. Wally Zerbiak is also the analyst for the Knicks. I had no idea he was analyst for the Knicks. But Wally Zerbiak made some really weird... How should I put this? Crankish comments about Tyrese Halliburton. After that Knicks loss on Sunday evening, did anybody hear this? I know that Alex Golden had it via his uh, his website and his Twitter handle, setting the pace. And I don't, I I confess I didn't see it until then, and I wasn't a guy that had an issue with Wally Zerbiak. I mean, he was a guy that looks like, and I think he was friends with which ninety eight degrees guy went to college at Miami of Ohio at the same time. Is that Lachey? Nick Lachey, I think they went to college together. And he looks like he probably tried out for 98 degrees once upon a time. I look like I tried out for the Kentucky Headhunters. He looks like he tried out for 98 degrees. But he had some really odd, crankish things to say about Tyrese Halliburton. And for the life of me, I really don't know why. And we probably won't get a response. I'm just curious. I guess I'm not angry about it, whatever. But it just kind of sounded like a dude that is not really a go-after-somebody type of guy that in that moment, whatever, felt the need to go after somebody. Because for the life of me, I have not seen where Tyrese Halliburton has been at all trying to promote himself to the All-Star team or promote himself in the NBA. I think it's been others that have been doing the talking. And certainly his play has been doing the talking. They've hit some rough patches here recently, but I, I don't mean, again, if that can help respark and rebuild what was once in the 90s, a absolute great rivalry, I'm all for it. I just would love to know at what level this began. Just kind of curious. Do you have that? This is what Wally Zerbiak had to say after the game, the Knicks beat the Pacers on Sunday regarding Pacer guard Tyrese Halliburton. Left. Step back. Mr. Supposed wannabe fake all-star with the big miss there. And then the rebound by Randall. And then Randall iced the game with all the free throws. Last chance down three for the wannabe all-star. Let me keep it that way. He's in his second year. He's a very good player. He's not going to make the all-star team. A guy like Julius Randall or Jalen Brunson will make it over Tyrese Halliburton. Third year. Tonight we saw yeah. why. Oh, it's his third year? Third year, yeah. Yes, you're right. Okay. All right. All right. What's that about? 
No, yeah, what is that about? That sounds like a guy that's very uncomfortable in handing out that level of criticism that felt compelled at that moment to hand out that level of criticism. The only thing I can think of is an agent gone bad. Maybe they share an agent. Maybe there's bad blood for an agent because I can't imagine Tyrese Halliburton has done anything to I've make never Wally Zerbiak mad. I have never seen where he has said anything, nothing anti, nothing promotional. You know, nothing anti the guys that Zerbiak talked about there. All right, so you, there's no doubt Jalen Brunson's having a fantastic year. And he should, too, because he got paid a crap load of money to have a fantastic year. And Julius Randle's a very good player. I'm assuming one or the other. I don't know if both. If they continue to play where they won eight, seven, eight in a row, if they continue to play well, maybe both will get there. But Halliburton's played pretty well in his own right so far. That was weird, though, because that sounded incredibly personal, but at the same time, it was coming from a dude where you know that he doesn't dish it out at that level very often because he sounded uncomfortable. This is weird. What did he say? Fake wannabe all-star? Well, why would you not want to be an all-star? Like, everybody out there playing wants to be an all-star. I don't know if he's trying to fake his way through it. Is he trying to fake his way there? Now, most of the time, you probably see Wally Zerbiak once the NCAA tournament starts or once the conference tournaments get underway. And you will see Wally Zerbiak do time on CBS. And I've never had an issue with him. And frankly, I don't have an issue with him right now, but I would love to know what instigated that particular diatribe, why he felt to go why he felt compelled to go that direction on Tyrese Halliburton. Because it was crankish. And believe me, that comes from somebody that probably says many a crankish thing right here. They would like to double back and go, oh, wait a minute. Did I really say that? That's stupid. But that did. That just sounded really stupid. It's like, where did that come from? And then having the guy, you know, that is running the studio show say, well, you know, it is his third year, not his second year, homie. <laughs> Okay. This is weird. Really odd. And a lot of you have asked about it. A lot of you have said, I can't believe. You can believe it because this is what sells in what we do now. This sells. To a lot of you, not all of you. And it's certainly not a way that we like to fashion ourselves here. But this is what sells to a significant portion of an audience out there. You want to hear somebody go a little bit extra. However, I would suggest if you wanted to go extra, you would go extra someplace else. Now, granted, this is the type of stuff that Miles Turner has taken from everybody, including people here for a number of years. But that's where we are. That is what everybody does. As far as wanting to be critical about things, you kind of go there. The fake wannabe all-star who wasn't even the one that turned it over down the stretch. That was Buddy Heald. He missed a three and then missed that half-court heave. That was about it. Buddy Heald's the one that turned it over in the corner and Miles missed four free throws in the fourth. But that was just odd. So we are out if you have asked the Wally Zerbiak. Of course, we will get nothing in response, but we are out to him to see exactly what in the hell was going on with that because I'm curious.
Because frankly, if somebody would have said that about you know Jalen Brunson or somebody about the Knicks right now, you know maybe they would be interesting and want to know why somebody around here said that. I guess it would be sour grapes here. I guess it would just be some level of jackassery there. It was almost like I'm going to say this, I'm going to go too far, and then oh man, all right, well, let me try to run this back. He's a very good player. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just called him a fake wannabe all-star, but he's a very good player. So we are out to Wally Zerbiak. Again, not as if anything will come of it, but you guys have asked, and that's what we do here. We respond, and we shall see. You know, I want to get back to Colts and Ben Brown for a moment, too. Ben Brown is a big-time Vikings fan. Yeah, Ben Brown crunches the numbers. I want to get past the numbers that we witnessed on Saturday as well, but the numbers to date with this Colts team and where we are, Jonathan Taylor, IR, his season's done. Let's compare and contrast. Last year when the guy was talked about as a possible MVP until this year to where he struggled with injuries and had a completely ineffective offense in which he was a part of. Among the offenses out there, I'd be hard-pressed to believe if there's anybody worse or that much worse than the one that we have seen consistently here this season with the Colts. And then the value moving forward. And don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting now, well, he's not going to have any worth, so you have to trade him. I'm not saying or expecting that. But what is going to be his value at some point? That's a question we asked Stephen Holder yesterday of ESPN.com. If you missed that conversation, podcast 107.5thefan.com. But what is going to be his value? How do you value last year? When clearly he was going to get paid to after this year, and then now you're thinking there's another year. Another year in the odometer of an NFL running back. So how do you view it? Talk to Ben Brown about that. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. A lot of decent numbers, I'm sure. Monday night football last night, Green Bay a winner over the Rams. So not a good evening, I guess, if you're watching the Colts hopefully climb what is going to be the April NFL draft meter here. What's interesting, though, I saw Stephen Holder had mentioned this. And then Albert Breer responded to it. So all this is is kind of a, just a, a rumor, hearsay type of opinion here. But I'd mentioned this, that Jim Irsay had talked about in terms of interviewing coaches, you know, the collegiate level, and talked about that a couple of different times. And not so much the collegiate coaches that I have talked about. I have kept this really simple. Thus, I've kept it so simple that it's not going to happen. But I have kept it of that this is, this would be the glorious hire. The Harbaugh winning the national title and then making himself available, and then wanting to take on what would be um, a gig that has been not living nearly up to expectations over the years. I mean, a hell of a challenging gig right now in a place where he used to be. I mean, this is all fairy tale stuff I'm pumping into you right now. It's not going to happen. 
Think about these moments in the past with this football team where what you had hoped were to happen has actually happened. When's the last time you got a fairy tale? When's the last time your fairy tale came true? Forever. And if it did in a fleeting moment, it probably doubled into something negative not too far thereafter. That has just been this team in a nutshell. So what I'm giving you is really not anything well thought out. And it's certainly not anything that I would say, wow, cross your fingers and hope for this because it won't happen. But I think that it would be a perfect marriage into everything around here, which would be necessary for this team to finally dig itself out from under the load of rotten, missed expectations over the years. That's exactly what they need. Unfortunately, it's not going to be available. But the collegiate route is something that's interesting because not only did Stephen Holder mention that with us yesterday as we talked about, but then Albert Breer, who reports for somebody on the national level for the NFL, had responded to Holder with which collegiate coach? Matt Campbell from Iowa State? Yep. When it comes to that, And nothing against Matt Campbell from Iowa State. When it comes to that, just just get me the hot coordinator that's in the NFL right now. Let's roll with it. Give me Biennemi, give me Dorsey, and then let's call it a day. I don't need to see Matt Rule Part 2 around here. And not to say that he's... Not going to be an NFL coach. I know that there were overtures, what, two years ago with the Lions in mind. They didn't go that direction, whatever. A different Campbell. But don't dig that deep. I would advise to swing big, and that would be great. But at the same time, let's keep this thing within the lines here. Ken Dorsey seems like he's a fiery dude as a coordinator. Again, this is just me spitballing. But this is me countering the, maybe you're looking at a not elite level of collegiate coach or a surprise level of collegiate coach. I don't need to be surprised by a collegiate coach. If I'm going to be surprised, it needs to be a guy like Harbaugh where you know what you're going to get when it comes in here. It's going to get cleaned up. It's going to go in that direction. You may ruffle some feathers along the way. But it gives every reason for the owner to head back to the bench, to play some music, to be philanthropic, to be a voice of NFL owners because he wants to be. I think all of that is great. And then you can leave the football operations up to somebody like that. The nuts and bolts of the team up to somebody like that. But that's not trying to reinvent the wheel here. People are going to argue, well, that's exactly what he tried to do with Jeff Saturday. You don't know that for sure, though. I don't know that for sure. I thought all along that he wanted Jeff Saturday to be his head coach. But he has put him in such an incredibly awful situation. How would you not think about that prior to hiring? So it's almost like now, you know, maybe Jeff Saturday is the mole. Maybe he was placed here. To report back to Jim Mercy. And again, I don't know why you couldn't do that with the guys you already have on staff. Hey, I'm already paying you a lot of money. Can you tell me exactly what's going on with this team? You're supposed to know. 
But maybe he felt compelled to get that from somebody he absolutely knew was untouched and going to be honest about it. Now, I don't know why, at the end of all this, why Jeff Saturday would want to go through it, but, you know, if you didn't really want to be or didn't think you were going to be the next head coach, maybe it didn't matter to you. I don't know at all if that's the answer. But I would like to think that that would be more of a logical occurrence than hiring this dude when you did and hope that everything was absolutely going to be different, that everything was going to change. The guys were going to start playing harder. The guys are going to start winning, which clearly did not happen. So maybe he was the mole. Maybe he's reporting back information. This is what's going on with his squad, and this is why it's not working. While he's the one coaching the game, which is really odd. Maybe that's it. I just don't need, I don't need to see, you know, hot, mid-level, up-and-coming. Like, I'm not trying to suggest Lincoln Riley is in that category because he's not up-and-coming anything. But, yeah, the whole outside-the-box thinking stuff, I don't know if I need that. I, I want more... I want more of a sure thing. And hopefully you can find a sure thing in terms of modern day OCs, DCs, whatever, to lead a team. Hopefully you can find that. Hopefully there are some there. I know the the I know a lot of the luster of Byron Leftwich is kind of off right now, but still, you know, hopefully something can come out of that. You know, Kellen Moore. I would rather do something like that than try to unearth what could be this collegiate coach that's going to transform into nothing. Yeah, that's my thought. We'll get back to that coming up a little bit later on as well. Joel A. Erickson of the Star is going to be here coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. What do we got to give away today? Got Zach Brown Band tickets, right, for that uh, August show, I believe, at a Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center Plus. We have your night all planned out for New Year's Eve. I'm hoping that by the time New Year's Eve rolls around that I don't sound like Marge Shot reincarnated. And I'm hoping the voice is going to be back and I'm going to be ready to go. So while I'm B105.7 ringing in the new year of 2023 with you, you guys are going to be out at Yacht Rock Review having a blast. And then going to the bathroom whenever they go to their original material, which everybody does. So nobody get mad about it. Everybody does. Nobody hangs around at the concert for the new material. You go straight to the can, and I don't blame you. But I'm going to give you a chance to win some tickets for what is going to be an absolute blast coming up on New Year's Eve. You guys are going to have fun, I promise. Tickets are available right now to $25 or less reserved. Uh, if you guys on New Year's Eve want to be a part of that, thank you, Jimi Hendrix and our friends over at the Mural National Center for being fantastic. Let me tell you this. You thought that there was a big crowd today in Buenos Aires to welcome home the World Cup 2022 champion Argentinian national team. Clearly, you guys were not at the Brownsburg Kroger at noon today because that had nothing on Buenos Aires or Buenos Aires had nothing on Brownsburg Kroger. <laughs> Tony, there was not a cart, not a basket, not a lane to be found. So what are we doing here? Is it because, is it the merging? 
and you every day are out there in this. I'm not out there in it like you are every day. So I will, I'll defer to your knowledge on this. Is it the merging of the perfect storm? The behemoth of holiday seasons, Christmas, and the upcoming winter storm. Are we merging right here to create the perfect storm this weekend? The perfect storm, because there's not going to be anything left on a shelf. You thought the pandemic was bad. Wait until Christmas and this winter storm merge here. It's incredible. Nothing. I went in there and I go, okay, what do you guys got? Anything more than this box of jello here? That's about it. But you guys thought Buenos Aires was packed this morning. It had nothing on the Brownsburg Kroger, which, by the way, is a new and fresh and brand new outstanding Kroger. Man, it was packed. Absolutely packed. All right, I got time for your calls. I laid out a lot for you, too. Pacers, again, don't play uh, tomorrow night in Boston, right? Tomorrow night in Boston and then in Miami coming up on Friday night. Ooh. Mm. I don't know about that. And again, don't lose your mind over this. Because the Pacers are still what we thought they were going to be. They're just a, still a hell of a lot more exciting. And you would think differently if they were able to close a game or two. I still go back to Friday night against the Cavaliers. I thought up until the end, when nobody out there could guard Donovan Mitchell, just like nobody out there could guard Jalen Brunson on Sunday, I thought up until the very end, that was the best game they had played against one of the NBA's better teams in Cleveland. So there is still a lot to offer. I'm not trying to sell you on this. I mean, you guys watch. You guys know what you want in quality basketball. They still give that to you. They're just not going to be as good as their record indicated before they embarked on that seven-game Western road swing. It's not. Uh, Ray Strauss coming up on the other side. I think he's going to have four days off and then does like 900 games of play-by-play before the start of the new year. It's amazing. Uh, Ray Strauss is going to join us on the other side. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. I appreciate you guys for watching. Get in there. I'll jump in there as well coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Ben Brown, a PFF 4 o'clock hour. Joel A. Erickson of the Star coming up after 5. Yacht Rock Review, New Year's Eve, Zach Brown Band, Ruoff, August, all coming at you. Listen to win. The stream, the app, HD Radio, Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Say, man. You got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Left. Step back. Mr. Supposed wannabe fake all-star with the big miss there. And then the rebound by Randall. And then Randall iced the game with all the free throws. Last chance down three for the... Wannabe All-Star, let me keep it that way. He's in his second year. He's a very good player. He's not going to make the All-Star team. A guy like Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson will make it over Tyrese Halliburton. Third Tonight we saw why. Yeah. Oh, it's his third year? Third year, yeah. Yes, you're right. Okay. right. Now, Wally Zerbiak in his comments on whatever the hell network that is that he works for regarding the Knicks. 
Weird. So this Matt Ishbia, am I pronouncing that right, who is now the new owner of the Phoenix Suns and the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury? So Matt is a former player for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. He's 42, and he purchased the WNBA franchise Mercury and the Sons of the NBA for $4 billion. So I'm 53. He's 42. You know how big of a loser that makes me feel like right here? (laughs) Wait a minute. What did he make his money in? Matt Ishbia. Am I pronouncing that accurately? I don't remember the dude. Did he ever play? Yeah. I remember Matt Stenginga. That's not the same guy, is it? Stenginga. No. no. I don't know if he was a walk-on or end-of-the-bench guy for that Michigan State team that won the title back in 2000. But uh, mortgages. He does mortgages. Ah. I feel like a loser. He just bought a WNBA and an NBA team for $4 billion. It's a record price. Matt Ishbia. And he's got a brother named Justin that also does something and makes money. A founding partner in Shore Capital, whatever that is. I'm completely out of the loop. No wonder I'm a loser. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Post-game show host of the Colts. Got four days off surrounding Christmas with uh, the fam at home and then is doing like 12 play-by-play games in one day or something like that, aren't you, after that? Well done. Somebody was listening to the morning show today, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, listen. I'm taking notes, man. I'm taking notes, brother. Come on. So I've, I've got uh, <laughs> I've got games tonight and tomorrow night. Then I am off until the Colts Monday night game. Yeah. And then starting next Tuesday, I will knock out 12 games in four days because we at ISC have 29 games in four days starting next Tuesday night with Cathedral and Warren Central. Oh, so you're doing that in four days? I thought you were doing it in a day. You've done this before. No, this is like Greg uh, Rakestraw 101 right here. I, I thought you were doing it in one done, day. I've done five basketball <laughs> games in, or five baseball games in one day as my max. I will do all eight of the Hall of Fame classic games in Newcastle, so I'll have back-to-back quadruple headers. Is that good enough for you? Yeah, that's nice. Matt okay. Ishbia, do you remember that player from Michigan State? No, I, I just heard your discussion on it, and uh, much like you, I'm familiar with other Matts, but I did see the fact that Drew dropped just $4 billion to pick up a couple of franchises. Yeah, I was wondering where he got that business from, and Greg tells me that he inherited that business from his dad right there. Ah. So well done. The well done. The book to, to make money. Get it from your mom oh, and dad. Oh, man. Makes me feel like a loser, baby. So that's it. Dude, you got 40 acres weight on you in Green County. What are you talking about? <laughs> as soon as they pass legalized marijuana around here, I'm rolling in it. You know that, don't you? It's going to be the Saturday night show, and that's it. Retiree <laughs> JMB. <laughs> It'll be like one big weed commercial about me growing it, one right after the other. Is what it's going to be. Of course, by the time they legalize it, I'll be long dead by then. So what are you going to do? It'll always be 420 on JMB show. 420 on my show. All right, you do have a high school game later on tonight, correct, too? And I I don't know a great deal about the kid from Kokomo, uh, Flory uh, Idunga, I believe, is how you pronounce his name. I do know that everybody's chasing after him, the who's who of college basketball coaches, and the kid is beyond legit. He is fantastic. And I was just having a conversation with Dane Fife, in fact, before uh, before talking with you. 
and and he had a chance to call it for us on ISC on Saturday night when they beat Carmel by a bucket. Um, so many because it's just the, the last great big that we think about in Indiana high school basketball and in this area, trying to compare Flory to, say, a Greg Oden. And Dane said, no, I think the, the more apt comparison, when he said them like the light bulb just went off, it's comparing to Sean Kemp in terms of the athleticism and the mobility and the height. But the fact that we're dropping Odin and Kemp and you don't get laughed out of the conversation when talking about a kid that's a junior at Kokomo High School tells you just how ridiculous the potential for this kid is. And, you know, the points are impressive at 20 points a game, 13 and a half rebounds, second best in the state. He's averaging 5.9 blocks per game. They've already had to replace one rim at Kokomo High School this year. It may not be the last. That's with breakaway rims, too. So he is something special. I had a chance to see him play Ben Davis a couple of weeks ago. Looking forward to calling one of his games for the first time when they take on Zionsville this evening. Free stream on ISC Sports Network. And if you're a Comcast subscriber, you can watch it on Channel 81. Yeah, we've got to get him down to Southport High School and loosen up those rims a little bit. <laughs> they had six games of the Forum Tip-Off Classic to loosen those up a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully those are now nice and softened up for you. Did Doty do some dunking on it? I was That was my request. I said, these things just aren't like what they used to be around here. They're way too unforgiving for my old ass. Zane put his 6'8", 230-pound frame on it a couple of times. What he did not do, though, was allow Xavier Booker then to dunk on it a couple of times in, in their victory against Cathedral some 10 days ago. Let me tell you this. I, I said this to Bob Lovell on Friday. If there is a more impressive team of the state out of the gate here than Ben Davis, help me find it. Now, Ben Davis is legit. And while Ben Davis doesn't necessarily have the star power of a Xavier Booker or a Jerron Tibbs or a Flory Bedunga or a Marcus Burden, they are so deep, one through eight, one through nine. And these are all kids that played varsity basketball a year ago. They had a couple of three seniors that were kind of on the fringe of the rotation. But they bring back their entire starting five, and then the first two or three guys off the bench are kids that got experience last year as well. So Zane Dowdy of this group is is the best player, going to play at Valparaiso. He's an Indiana All-Star, and he, much like Flory Badunga, will average a double-double uh, as the year goes along. K.J. Wyndham, who's hurt right now, rolled an ankle in the victory against Cathedral and missed their last two games. Um, you know, he may be a higher-level recruit as of next year. Mark Zachary's a sophomore. I think probably his future is in football more so than basketball, but he's a high-level athlete as a sophomore. But, no, there are other teams that probably have better individual players. There is no team that is anywhere near as deep as Ben Davis is at this midway point of the season. By the way, I love any comparison to Sean Kemp because when I went to that 88 final between Concord and Muncie Central, I have never, ever seen anything like that. It was one of the best games ever. Now, you know, and again, you get Chandler Thompson and Sam Long on the other side of of, of Kemp and, and Jamar Johnson, who was a sophomore at the time. But it was, for somebody you didn't see a lot of that growing up in southwestern Indiana, it was an absolute dunk show for the ages. Love it. Well, I mean, just think about, you know, Chandler Thompson's best dunk would come two years later. And when you say, hey, Sean Kemp's team was not the most athletic one on the floor, that should get your attention. Yeah. That's what that championship game was like back in 88. Yeah, it was incredible. Greg Rakestraw joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if you have too much info in the background, but Indiana State on Saturday played at Duquesne, or as we pronounce it in southern Indiana, Duquesne. 
Yep. Uh, he played at uh, Duquesne. They played at Duquesne and evidently were assessed a technical to start the game because they did not have their score sheet in at the deadline because the bus driver got lost in Pittsburgh. <laughs> is this true? Do you know anything of this story? This, this is the first I have heard of this. Am I just making this up? As, no, as someone that has, that has traveled for years in college basketball, the nine years I spent doing the IUPUI games, that is altogether possible. And you don't think about this when coaching in college basketball, but sometimes you are reliant on your bus driver. So the only intelligent response I can give you on that is, um, when I was at IUPUI and we were playing at Southern Utah, we would stay in Vegas. We would practice at the Thomas and Mack Center. We would drive up day of the game. Well, one year we had a bus driver that um, we thought was a little impaired. Uh, he may have found that 40 acres of weed you were talking about earlier uh, in, in the conversation. Right. Uh, and so it was a little, little longer trip to get to Cedar City, Utah, than we had planned. The bus broke down. Uh, on the way there, uh, we had a tire that went out. Rim was starting to spark a little bit. And um, my my hand to God, man tried to um, man tried to put out the fire on the tire with his own fire hose, if you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, and so we were, thankfully, in those days, you had media guides where they had, like, press row phones. And so I grabbed a cell phone. I had that number and said, hi, you know, this is who I am. Yeah, we're out on exit 211. Uh, we're about five miles away. Our bus broke down. Somebody may need to come and get us. And so they sent a bus. They sent squad cars. I arrived at the game in the back of a cop car. Uh, we started the game about 25 minutes late. They thankfully did not assess us a technical, and we won the game by four points. So I understand that yeah. there are planes, trains, and automobiles moments that happen in college basketball. Well, this this came from Todd Golden, who is a longtime great writer at the Tribune Star covering yeah. the Sycamores. No longer does, but was fantastic in doing it. Uh, the game began strangely when officials called an administrative technical foul on Indiana State before the opening tip-off for not submitting its starting lineup soon enough. This came after the team's bus driver experienced difficulty maneuvering through Pittsburgh to get to the field house. He must have got somewhere hung up on the Allegheny or Monongahela. Uh, it is certainly possible. Uh, I had a game that started one time because of a player dunking in warm-ups. IUPUI got a got two technicals to start the game, made one, missed one. Then also because of the technical, there was not an opening tip. They got possession of the ball to start the game. There was never a there was never a center jump in that game. We then scored a three like six seconds in. We began the game with a 4 nothing lead with six seconds to go. That was a victory at Seton Hall for IUPUI, my last year of doing the games on the road, 2008 and 2009. So, yes, things like that happen in college basketball, John. Does this rule exist at the high school level, too? I do not think so, but it is rare that a team would be late getting to a game just because, you know, in, in my world, you always have the JV game before the varsity. Like the one time right. that I remember something like that, like that happening, like when you have these single day shootouts, like I think at the All State Sneakers for Santa shootout last year, like the one thirty game or the eleven thirty game started like like twenty minutes late because the team was late getting there coming down from Gary, and so you have situations like that. 
it is rare that happens in a regular season game. Tight. Greg Rakestraw, who joins us, let's move over to IU. Two top-ranked programs, two big-time losses. What has been discouraging about the past two against Arizona and Kansas for you about that team, Greg? Just the fact that against the uh, cream of the crop, the Blue Bloods, of which IU is aspiring to get back to, uh, and a team that was talking about a Final Four, deep tournament run, et cetera. Well, those are the types of teams that you have to be competitive with. And IU wasn't competitive with either of those two teams. And so, you know, we all kind of looked past the fact that this Indiana team just barely scraped by in terms of making the NCAA tournament and barely won a play-in game before then getting throttled in a traditional first-round game. We all kind of pushed that to the side because of the amount of experience that was returning to this Indiana team and the caliber of freshmen that was coming in. It seems that, all right, that experience will make them better and they will continue to improve from last year to this year, and I'm not so sure they're improved. They appear to be the same team that's good enough to be an NCAA tournament team, but not good enough to be a difference-making NCAA tournament team. And that's what is striking me after these last two Saturdays. Other side, Boilermakers, your thoughts on Matt's team continue to roll. They got some pushback, don't get me wrong, from Davidson here in downtown Indy on Saturday, but still prevail with a lot of the same stuff that we have seen to get them now to the number one spot this season in College Hoop to begin with. Do I think they're the number one team in the country? Probably not. Do I think they're far better than we thought they were going to be going into the season? Yes. Um, are, Are they going to have some fits and starts in Big Ten play because they are so young in the backcourt, yes. As much as I believe in Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, they'll have some learning moments. Um, They're not going to run the table in the Big Ten. I know that's a hot take, breaking news level thing. It's not going to happen. At the end of the day, do I even think they're a number one seed? Probably not. But are they maybe a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament? Yes. And if you had said that before the beginning of the year, nobody would have believed you. So, They're a much better team than we thought going in. I think they're probably a little over-ranked or rated right now, not because of the strength of their schedule. They deserve to be number one based on what they've done to this point. They'll pick up some losses in Big Ten play. But let's face it, it, it is still going to be about what can this group do in March, even if expectations were not as high for them coming into this season. All right, so Jonathan Taylor placed on IR. Surprises nobody. Season over. Incredibly disappointing, especially compared to the type of in, in a, uh, MVP caliber conversationally speaking uh, that we had him down for a year ago with the numbers he put up. Yards on the ground, touchdowns, all that. Where do you think his value is going to be moving forward once he gets that next contract? Well, again, I, I think I think what you have to find the balance of is making him one of the top paid running backs in the National Football League, but knowing that the top paid running back in the National Football League isn't the same as a top paid quarterback in the National Football League, isn't the same as a top paid wide receiver in the National Football League, and maybe even other premium positions. For as dynamic of a playmaker as Jonathan Taylor is, he is still playing at a position where you can typically find a replacement value for pennies on the dollar. And so knowing he's going into his final year as a second round pick of his rookie deal, I'm sure there will be some momentum, some requests, some asks from player and agent to renegotiate and go and get an extension done. And if the Colts want to make him a top two or three paid running back in the national football league, 
I got zero qualms with that, especially if it's a two or three year deal. Um, but if if you're getting into quarterback and wide receiver money, that's where you need to have a hard conversation about saying, hey, just how much are you willing to pay for this position? And I know that maybe the Colts have spent money above a, a player's particular position over the past couple of years. And given kind of how things are going right now, perhaps it's time to revisit some of those conversations. Really quickly, Jeff Saturday, interim head coach, because Jim Irsay wants him to be the coach, wanted him to be the coach, or more of an informational mole for Jim Irsay. What, what are we looking at right now as far as Saturday's concerned? I honestly have no earthly idea. Um, it, it, it's just... You know, we we saw the kind of the, kind of the, the one game improvement, and then we've gone back to reverting to kind of what this team was, and so you know it, it was a left field hire for sure, um, but has it had a great impact? No, it's not. Um, and so now it's a matter of, you know, Jeff has said he wants to continue. Does Jim want him to continue? Does he want him to continue in a different role? Time will tell. And even even if we know what the end result of this season is going to be. There's still 20 days left before it officially becomes the off season. And could we see decisions change and minds made and unmade in those next 20 days? Yes, I could just given the nature of Jim Irsay. So I'm not trying to, to, to uh, walk away from your question. Sure. My honest take is I have no earthly idea because I'm not sure those decisions have been made just yet, John. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Always a pleasure, my friend. You and the family have a fantastic Christmas, and we'll talk again on a busy week coming up for you next week. A happy belated birthday. Thank you, brother. And you enjoy your upcoming last Saturday off as we put you back to work on New Year's Eve. We're coming. Coming at you New Year's Eve. Thank you, Greg. See you, pal. It's Greg Rakestraw, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, Ben Brown, PFF, Joel Erickson of the Star, your chance to win, all that stuff and more coming up. Don't leave. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. Yeah! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, shout out to Dane Five, who's listening right now. Hey, Dane, give me your location. I'm just curious. Where are you listening right now? Send me a picture of where you're listening. Send me a picture. I want verified that you're actually listening to the show right now. Send me a photograph. Dane Fife is listening. He had the Sean Kemp reference that Greg Rakestraw made uh, regarding the kid from Kokomo a little bit earlier today. And anytime anybody brings up Sean Kemp, I always bring up that state championship game in 1988, which was absolutely awesome. I mean, awesome. One of the greatest ever. Wasn't a close game. But I know also a listener to the show, Chandler Thompson, and that dunk off he had with Sean Kemp was for the ages. And I mean, every age. Awesome. So shout out to Dane. Send me that picture. Joe A. Erickson of the Star is going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, too. Yacht Rock Review, New Year's Eve, Mirage Old National Center tickets coming up. Zach Brown Band, August Ruoff also coming up. you got to listen to win, but on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, oh, he is just way too happy. If you could just see the smile on this Vikings fan's face right now, 
We would laugh because it's probably 25 degrees below zero, but we won't be laughing long because it's going to be like that coming up Saturday here. Ben Brown of PFF, the data scientist, betting analyst, and more is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Surely to goodness, I didn't have to call you to crunch the numbers from one half to the other and how Jekyll and Hyde, I mean truly Jekyll and Hyde, that game Saturday in Minneapolis was. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on, JMV. I was, you know, I think this is what happens when you take, you know, a couple of days off or whatever. The inmates start running the asylum or something like that. <laughs> we are we're feeling pretty good in Minnesota, I would say. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. To, to speak to the game, I'm still. I would say in some ways, I'm still processing it, just like Indianapolis Colts fans are probably too from just the other side, right? Like, the, the way in which we arrived where we did at halftime and then to see the second half kind of play out like it did, like it was uh, it was definitely one for the record books, that's for sure. All right, let's find what legitimate path was taken for Minnesota to get back into it. And listen, give credit where credit is due with Kirk Cousins in that offense, but he also threw a pick in the second half, so it wasn't completely clean. But how much of it was on – a Colts offense that just sucks in general and basically sucked in the first half and really, really, really sucked in the second half. That is basically what led Minnesota to that path back and then to have one for the record books on Saturday, right? Yeah, very, very much so. And I, and I think you, it goes back to, you know, how how is this Colts team built and set up to be successful? And it, it very much was, you know, the interior offensive lineman, Quentin Nelson getting the big contract, Jonathan Taylor being, you know, the number one running back that can kind of salt away some of these victories. And, and of course, Taylor got hurt, but it's like that's been the, the, the complete breakdown and the, and the point at which the Indianapolis Colts have absolutely struggled. And, and not even to be able to, you know, generate any semblance of offense to the point where you can have you, – you, you don't even really need points at that point in time, right? You really need just a couple of sustained drives where you can move the sticks. And, and the, those were just so few and far between – throughout the entire game, but it really came back to bite them in the second half. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, in some ways kind of an accurate representation of where this Colts team, you know, currently is from, you know, both a, both a talent perspective and an ability to execute uh, and win football games. He's Ben Brown, a PFF Pro Football Focus, our betting analyst, our numbers analyst each and every week, every Tuesday here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So offensively speaking, starting with the quarterback, Matt Ryan, how ugly are the numbers as we exit one week and then go into yet another primetime standalone, which is very exciting for the fan base around here, a Monday night or a against the Chargers. Yeah, so this was, you know, from, from, from a passing perspective with Matt Ryan, obviously, uh, you, you know, not great. I would say, you know, definitely even, even, even though the fact that he's been, you know, below average, it, it was still very much a below average game from a PFF grading perspective. Uh, I think it was like his second lowest, you know, completion percentage that he's had so far this season uh, on a number of plays. And the fact that when you're playing the entire game from ahead, and in some ways you only need to hit some of the underneath type, uh, you know, options to move the sticks. Like it, it speaks to kind of like a complete lack of accuracy uh, sack three times, basically as well. I, I do think in some ways, you know, that's kind of the one strength for the Minnesota Vikings has been like their pressure situation, but you, you know, going from the fact where the, the, the Vikings secondary was completely torn apart against, you know, uh, somewhat of a middling or, or slightly above average, you know, uh, Detroit Lions team two weeks ago to, you know, not really getting, 
any sort of offensive production from Matt Ryan and the Colts offense on Sun, uh, on Saturday. Like it, it speaks to, you know, just how low and in some ways below average this, this, this offense unit has been. Yeah. But among the quarterbacks, the, the starters, yeah, I guess obviously Ryan hadn't started every game this year, but among the quarterbacks that, you know, predominantly have been starters, where does he rank? So he is, um, so I have, we have a few different metrics. I would say, you know, from, from, from specifically this week's perspective, he was um, 16th, basically. So right around league average, um, uh, kind of like, you know, 15th, 16th, basically from a PFF grading perspective. I think on the season, when you're looking at like PFF grade, and then, and then we try and do some other metrics where, uh, we have one specifically that, you know, I, I think shines the light on, you know, how valuable, you know, players have been. Um, we have Matt Ryan as kind of like the 18th ranked quarterback on the season from with this PFF war metric, which, which kind of tries to take into account, you know, both facets of play and just how valuable he has been to his actually t- actual team. So a little bit below league average, but um, you know, I, I think in some ways, like if you were, if you were saying that Matt Ryan would give you league average quarterback play here, you would have at least expected the, the, the Colts to kind of at least be in, you know, the hunt to at least win what is, you know, very much looking like a down, uh, you know, AFC South division right now. Yeah, it's uh, no doubt about that. Ben Brown is with us from PFF. Offensive line-wise, how is it looking at this point in the season? That is something, obviously, we've talked about ad nauseum with you. Uh, the numbers that were uh, pretty low throughout the the, uh, the early portion of the season sustained that low level. Where are they right now? Do you assess any improvements at any of those positions along that line? I think, you know, and, and, I, and you know, some of this obviously speaks to, um, you, you know, the, the matchup considerations with where they were at, uh, you know, against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. But we had them, you know, from, from a pass blocking perspective, I think this was like, you know, their, their fourth best pass blocking graded game of the season so far from a run blocking perspective kind of right around where they've been all season though. I would say it was very much like a, a, an average or median, you know, outcome for them from a run blocking perspective. So overall, you know, it wasn't, uh, I would say that the reason why they lost this game probably doesn't fall, you know, along the offensive line in this particular game. And they actually have been, you know, I would say somewhat steadily improving since um, kind of, kind of starting in that week 10 matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders, um, you know, from, a, from an offensive standpoint, uh, you know, moving the football. So I think, you know, it's weird. And in some ways, you know, uh, it, it comes down to a number of different things, but I would say that, you know, at least from an offensive line perspective, like that, that's not the spot where this game, uh, I, I would say, fell apart for the Indianapolis Colts. All right, so where did it fall apart? In particular, the second half, obviously the defense couldn't stop anybody. The offense couldn't produce anything. Uh, which would we put more of the blame on for what was just an embarrassing, ridiculous second half? Yeah, I would say I would say a lot of it is is both the pass rush considerations and also you know from a coverage standpoint, right? Like you know we were kind of expecting Stephon Gilmore to at least struggle at certain points, you know, with Justin Jefferson. That very much happened. Um, I, I would say overall, you know, you probably needed a little bit better performance from him. But the fact that you know guys like KJ Osborne had such big games, you know, from a receiving standpoint as well. It kind of speaks to, you know, maybe, maybe we don't really have that secondary cornerback position, you know, as solidified as we probably thought. And I think that's probably the main, the, the main issue with this one was the fact that, you know, we, there was really no 
Um, you know, no semblance of pass rush, especially in the second half, you know, from an Indianapolis Colts perspective. Uh, and then the coverage situation, which in some ways you maybe expect, you know, facing off against the best, you know, the best wide receiver in football. But uh, I would say this was, you know, right around like their fourth worst coverage grade uh, from a PFF grading standpoint so far this season. All right. So um, is that uh, new life in what a lot of people were skeptical about with this Vikings team? And going down the stretch, I know they, they win the NFC North by virtue of that, but you know, not a lot of people are completely sold on this team, both sides of the football. Did it become even more sold, or do they believe that more of a Colts problem than it was just an accomplishment by their football team? Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, the way in which they at least got back, right, and and the fact that it was, you know, kind of passing through the air when the Colts were very much expecting it and the, their capabilities still moving the football against what, you know, I, I think a lot of people consider at least to be, you know, a, a decent to above average defensive unit overall. Like, I think it probably in some ways, you know, boosts the, boosts the outlook for the Minnesota Vikings uh, moving forward here because the, the way in which they kind of got behind was, you know, in some ways random in some ways, you know, some fluky plays, obviously, you know, Kirk cousins throwing the pick six to kind of close out the half, you know, is a play that he absolutely can't make, but you know, the, bl- the punt block, uh, you know, fumble recovery, touchdown, those things like, like it's hard to, I would say not see that as kind of a random play. So to be able to kind of overcome a lot of that in the first half, and show out and, and do it through the air and passing the football against, uh, you know, a, a decent defense. Like I think overall, um, I think it definitely boosts the longer term outlook for the Minnesota Vikings, even though they did fall behind, you know, 33 points at halftime or whatever it was. All right. Uh, look across the board, NFC, AFC over the course of the weekend numbers, as we approach the end of the season, uh, who was most impressive in your mind? Yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from the NFC perspective, um, you know, very much, I think, you know, the, the New York Giants winning that football game on Sunday night greatly in, improved their outlook, uh, you know, to get into the playoffs. PFF has them with like an 87, 88% chance of getting in. They do have a somewhat difficult schedule, but, you know, winning that football game very much puts them in, in, in not only the playoff race, but it could even, you know, cause them to be like the sixth seed and get, you know, uh, you know a, a somewhat – decent matchup against the Minnesota Vikings team or San Francisco 49ers team. So I think they are the, you know, ones that probably improved, you know, their, their playoff outlook the most Detroit definitely got some things going in their direction as well. Uh, and very much kind of controls their own destiny. PFF has them with a, you know, 38% chance at making the playoffs. So there are, you know, you know, a number of options for some of these lesser NFC teams to, I would say, not only get into the playoffs, but, you know, kind of once they get there uh, to be able to maybe win some football games, given, you know, the warts that are very much present, I would say, at the top of the conference. All right. Interesting situation to a quarterback, Jalen Hurts, uh, with the injury situation and Gardner Menchu as the backup there. But I, I do want to concentrate on Hurts. Is he right now the absolute front runner for MVP in the NFL this year? So from from a lot of people's perspective and from a betting market perspective yesterday before the injury news, he was definitely, you know, the odds on favorite. I would still personally probably have Patrick Mahomes uh, ahead of him. I think Mahomes has done more with less. Uh, I very much think Philadelphia, you know, outside of the quarterback position has the best roster in football from, from, from the top down. So I think, you know, uh, uh, giving Jalen Hurts 
the award, even though they've kind of won, even just because they've won a number of games and he has, I would say, exceeded expectations. I think that would be a little bit of, you know, a case of maybe like voter fatigue in Patrick Mahomes' direction. Because I do think, you know, without without Patrick Mahomes in the fold, the Chiefs are, you know, a, a bottom team in the AFC and probably looking at like a 3-14 and 14 record or something like that. But with him, they are once again legitimate Super Bowl contenders. So I think that part uh, of the award, and if you are actually talking about the most valuable player, like like that's why Patrick Mahomes, Still is it in my eyes, and and I do agree with the betting market moving in his direction, but we'll see. I think you know it, it kind of like what you said with with Jalen Hurts and and Gardner Minshew probably getting at least one start, if not a couple starts here. Like we are very much going to find out in some ways how valuable you know Jalen Hurts actually has been to their success. Because when you kind of remove that piece, you know it, if they stumble, I would say down the stretch here, it, it speaks to probably a higher you know higher caliber. How, higher caliber, uh, you know, quarterback play than what they're capable of with Gardner Minshew, but also, you know, um, maybe doesn't give as much credit to Nick Sirianni, who is, you know, very much, I would say, you know, the 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 front runner for coach of the year right now. I'm curious, you know, Justin Jefferson, you watch him all the time. He's putting up big numbers. And we know a year ago, Cooper Cup broke all these records and he sure as hell didn't win the MVP. But um, you, you think that the guys like this at the skill positions, you know, a couple years ago, maybe Jefferson this year should be taking on more consideration for that award, considering what they, they offered, you know, Cup offered his team a year ago and what Jefferson's doing for the Vikings this year. Yeah, I, I think in those two particular cases, like you can very much make the case that they at least should be in the conversation, right? And even if they don't win it, like I don't think the, the quarterback position is so valuable and having that guy, and maybe there's a reason why he's not going to win it over, you know, Patrick Mahomes or even Jalen Hurts, but I still think that it might be crazy to say, but he is probably like the third most valuable, you know, player in football right now, given, given, given the direction for how, you know, the Minnesota Vikings have worked their way out. And I do think that, you know, especially with the accolades that Cooper cup got last year and all the record breaking things like those should in some ways maybe be taken into account as well. When we're kind of evaluating this MVP discussion, because the, the discussion isn't like who is also most valuable to the team, but it's also like, you know, what can you get, from a player behind you that is very much supposed to be, you know, replacement level and how much better is that player? Uh, it, how much better is like the, the, the MVP candidate going to be than a guy that's replacement level. And I think the drop off from Justin Jefferson to, you know, a replacement level wide receiver might be greater than it is going from, you know, Jalen hurts to a guy like Gardner Minshew, I would say. Hey Ben, I'm going to make you go full born nerd here really quick. But if you were to take Justin Jefferson off, um, is he, is there a replacement for him um, if you were to do the same with Kirk Cousins? Is he the most irreplaceable, I guess I should ask, in terms of this nerdery here on that Vikings team? I think he is, yeah. I, I think that, you know, the 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 Vikings could get 75% of the way there without Kirk Cousins in the fold. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, if they have Kirk Cousins and he's thrown to guys like Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson and KJ Osborne that, they're anywhere close to where they've been right now. Right. Cause I think, you know, in crucial points in tough times, Justin Jefferson has been that guy and he's been, you know, targeted and gotten the contested catches consistently. And I think that, you know, that valuation is just not going to happen for, I would say even a league average wide receiver at this point in time. So I'm, I'm leaning in Justin Jefferson's direction. That might be wrong here, but uh, I, I still think that a lot of the success 
for, for what the what the Vikings have been able to do uh, is a big representation of how good he actually is. I know you get an Offensive Player of the Year award, so I guess that kind of cushions the blow a little bit, but I wouldn't mind. I mean, I really wouldn't mind if you could you know, look at the level of importance and what a team has done and how it corresponds to another position other than quarterback. Yeah, I think that'd be new and fresh for me. Yeah. It's never going to happen that way again in all likelihood, but at the same time, I think it would be refreshing. Right. It very much would. And like you said, we have the offense player, the air, you know, uh, consideration and stuff like that. But uh, I think, you know, even like the separation with what Justin Jefferson provided, you know, compared to everybody, you know, else in all other positions, like he is, you know, very much the most valuable non quarterback. And, and I think that's, you know, probably the reason for why he at least deserves, you know, some discussion in this manner, I would say. So Ben Brown of PFF with us every Tuesday via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Any other numbers that stand out to you that we haven't talked about, whether it's with the Colts or any other team in the NFL as we wind down the backstretch here this regular season? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you guys, you don't probably want to hear it, but Trevor Lawrence, I would say, is, is the – Maybe another cause for concern with uh, from the Indianapolis Colts perspective. I think he's PFFs, you know, by far his highest graded quarterback since week nine. You know, beating out guys like like we've discussed, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, even. So uh, the future, I would say, in Jacksonville seems to be arriving ahead of the schedule. We have them with you know a 37 percent chance of um, you know getting into the playoffs. Obviously, that Week 18 match with Tennessee looms large, but uh, you know it, it's a case where they are. You know, in some ways, I would say trending in the right direction and look like, you know, uh, a, a, a team that, you know, the Colts had to figure out how to beat here, you know, in subsequent seasons, if they do kind of want to get back, you know, into this into this discussion about how good they can make it and how far they can make it in the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to get um, here, what, next year, more than likely, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, you're going to have Bryce Young, and you're going to have Malik Willis. And then I guess you're going to maybe right. have, what, Will Levis here, somebody like that. So there's going to be your quarterback matchups in 2023. Just a theory of mine. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I, I will be interested. I mean, that's going to be the discussion here coming out is like, what, what can the Colts do at the quarterback position? Cause there's no way they can head into, you know, 2023 with kind of this, the same retreat, um, you know, veteran option that they've been doing, you know, recently. So it'll be interesting to see what they, uh, what they end up doing. I am interested in what you're hearing as far as if they are, you know, maybe going to go. Well, you got to. You, you, you was a guy at the top end of the first round. You, you got to. And I, I've, listen, this is unfair of me to say, and I don't want this to skew anybody's opinion out there, but I watched Will Levis play against Georgia, and uh, he sucked. And then everybody told me he didn't have any weapons right. like he did last year. And, I, hell, I don't know. I didn't watch him last year. I don't know. But he just, against NFL caliber talent at home, in Lexington, he didn't do anything for me. He didn't give me a sports arousal by any stretch. Right. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in the same boat as you with Will Levis. I think he's, you know, a, a guy that very much is going to look really good here in gym shorts. Um, you know, throwing the football and it, it, with no elbow, with no shoulder pads on or anything like that at the combine, and and you know that's very much what I think a lot of people expect, but. Uh, I, I would much rather go in, in maybe a different direction at the quarterback position if that's 
you know, the, the number one option for the Indianapolis Colts right now. Yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit more in the weeks to come. And that that was, I want to make it clear, that was a, a completely unfair evaluation of a dude that I saw once. So I don't want anybody to say, oh, man, well, you know, clearly you're because that's what I saw. And it was against not not even the level of defensive NFL talent that they had a year ago. But that was this this year. And then people that watch him on a regular basis told me that he didn't have a lot of guys around him. Well, he didn't look like he had anybody around him, and he didn't do much for me then. But I'm sure that that's that's an unfair evaluation out of one game for one dude for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I think it, it, it it'll be interesting because I think he's going to be a very polarizing NFL draft prospect coming up here, right? And what and what you kind of base your, um, you know, what what you're kind of trying to identify and, and what you're looking at you know, is very much going to speak to what, what, where and how you have him actually ranked. But right now, you know, I, I would much rather look at a guy in the second round or third round, you know, as opposed to selecting Will Levis, Will Levis as high as they're probably going to have to if they do want to go that direction. All right, my friend. I appreciate you. It's great having you back. Have a fantastic holiday. And uh, we'll get it locked and loaded again next Tuesday and see what happens after that Monday night. And we get to talk, talk about another primetime standalone. With the Colts coming up on Monday night. Are you excited about it? I'm excited. I I mean, I'm tuned in to every single one here. So, uh, you know, any football at this point, uh, I love it. So I'll be I'll be tuned in. I'll be ready here. I hope you have, you know, a great and safe holiday season as well. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you got it. You too, buddy. Thank you, Ben. It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. San Jose State has their area code on their helmet. Think how you can put eight one two up there for me. I think how you needs to put eight one two on their helmet in one game next year. The eight one two. Think anybody wants to be known as being a part of the eight one two? Is that the difficulty I would have selling this right here? Wait a minute here. I don't know if I really want to let everybody know that we're a part of the eight one two. Like if you're a team, if you're Ball State, what are they, 765 up there? What's Purdue? <laughs> I'm surprised you don't know all these by heart. I think I do. Well, they've changed over the years. Like weird. But 812 right over the side of it. Yeah, I know what San Jose State. What is it, 408 they have on the side of their helmet right there? Everybody in the world seeing that right now as a part of the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Or you could be listening to me and watching the second half of the Colts and the Vikings right now on the NFL Network. Hey, on the other side, Kyle, we got to call Dane Five. I think Dane's going to call in here. He's out and about listening to the show, and I'll ask him a couple of questions about the kid for Kokomo and more coming up on the other side. Dane Five, we got Joel Erickson, the star, top of the hour. Your chance to win stuff, too. Don't leave. The Ride with JMV. Hey, you going to stare all day or are you going to buy something? Uh, I'm going to stare all day. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, shout out to the holiday season for you, too. If I did not just sell you on the need for you to buy your significant other naturally nude pajamas, I don't know what more I can do for you right here. You agree with that, Kyle? It was like back-to-back. I think it was Lover's Lane right before me, too. I just, I, I really, I meshed right in. 
They're going to have to order more because they're going to be selling out. And they will, too. They'll order more for you. But I'm just trying to give you fellas an idea that's going to work for her and for you. And this voice that I have right now, this cross between Lou Brown of Major League and Marge Schott, or the guy that you work with at the factory that just huffed down a carton of cigarettes in the parking lot. It works for that read. Pajamagram.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, the former Hoosier who was out and about, I'm assuming still is, listening to the show. 107.5 The Fan, also 93.5 The Fan. He is Dane Five. Where are you right now? You know what? I'm just leaving Bargersville. Listen, listen to that voice. I could do. I could do the pajama gram. You could too. Are you? Are you under the weather? Or are you just battling some laryngitis? No, I think I'm moving that way. I'm moving towards maybe a cold, chest cold. Yeah. But it's not going to keep me from watching the Hoosiers tonight. That's right. what I'm doing. I'm in Bargersville picking up some free tickets. I'm too cheap to pay for any. I bet I know where you're going for those tickets too, aren't you? That exactly. I, I know where I you're am. going. Yeah. I know you. I knew your ETA, and I know where you're going to uh, to watch that. What? Well, look back on the past two with Arizona and Kansas in mind, um, and you know I, I sit here and say, well, you know, you know, uncompetitive in, in a lot of both those games, and especially that Kansas game. But what really came across to you as things that need to improve for this team? <clears throat> well, you got to be at your best going into those two games, and you got to be uh, with your full roster. Arizona, they didn't have Huchifino, and then Kansas, they didn't have. It kind of Johnson got hurt early, and Huchifino's coming back. Uh, and there's a reason why there's most Power Fives aren't going to Kansas and playing in a non-conference game. I mean, you hear all the time, Cal. You know, at Kentucky's going to do neutral sites. Chusevsky, same scenario, and there's a reason for it. Um, but you know, what do they have to do to improve? Well, th- their offense has to start meshing. And that means um, that has to do with part of it with, with trying to get Hood Shafino and Johnson playing together, um, mixing in Galloway. And you also have – you've got your bigs with Trace and Race, but Malik Renew um, isn't going to be an important part of this. You know, if you look at their top eight – it's it's the five starters, assuming Johnson were in, and then you have Renew, you've got Galloway, and you've got probably Bates, and the offense takes time. And what I saw at Kansas is I saw the inept offense spilling over into the defensive end, and for those that well, their defense has gone down. Well, you know it's natural, naturally human to when you're struggling on offense then it carries over to the defensive end. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think everybody out there has been been through that because I'm I'm assuming most people out there on some level uh, played hoop, and that, that does naturally affect the other side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think you played JV uh, uh, <laughs> uh, up until your junior year, right? Exactly. And then, uh, exactly. I lit, I lit that blank up, though, let me tell you, buddy. It's not like I was playing in Michigan or some clown state like that. All right, I'm not going to take that. I am not going to take that. That's ridiculous. Oh, I know way, it. It's good to be on your show. Well, I'm glad. I've I'm been gl- begging. I've been begging. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing when people jump off ship. I get fired. 
Now I'm not asked to come on your show. I you had know. to beg you to come on this time. You know, you know better than that. So it's a Dane Five is. Uh, <laughs> Is with us. I I curious because you get Elon tonight. You're obviously going to that game. They're coming off playing two uh, top ranked teams, two those blue blood type of programs. Um, what can you learn from tonight? Assuming they play much better against a team that's not even close to as good as the last two, compared to anything at all that you can come across as learning? Because people all the time, Dane, talk about, well, you know, there was a learning experience there. Because uh, that's something else basketball-wise. To me, if you get to pants someplace, I don't know. I never thought you were learning too much out of it. But can there be something taken from a de-pantsing like what took place Saturday? <laughs> I like that. De-pants. Yeah. They got, well, they got de-pants for sure. There's no doubt. Well, I think – Confidence is lacking right now. Everybody's second-guessing themselves, including the staff. And I think it's a chance for the for the, the program to go back, reassess, reevaluate. And then they've got, you know, we've got a couple games here before the Big Ten. Um, there's some time off in between. And really get a, get a lay of the land moving forward. Because the objective was to see where how you, how you measure up against some of the top programs. And then give your guys some experience and, you know, to go into the fog and play, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's even more difficult than maybe the NCAA tournament because everybody's against you and everything's stacked up against you. I know we're, we're minus two and a half or whatever, you know, we weren't necessarily supposed to lose by that much, but, um, you learn a lot, and you learn a lot about your players. You know, we're going to see now because now it's your guys, they're probably starting to feel the heat, and it's a different kind of heat than any of them ever felt at IU. And it's a different kind of heat because now it's, all right, well, we're, we're supposed to win and we're supposed to do all these things. Well, this isn't this isn't going right, and, and it's, a, it's a great opportunity to step work on the things that perhaps they're really struggling with, get things put together and get some momentum going into the Big Ten season. So, Dane Five with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I was talking to Greg Rakestraw. I think you heard that with uh, Florian Badunga, uh, the kid from Kokomo. You were a part of that broadcast the other day, and and Greg brought up your comparison to Sean Kemp. I've not seen the kid lie. I've, I've just seen all the highlights, but how impressive at the high school level as a junior is he? Well, you know, I saw him block three shots literally with his armpit. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't believe the energy, the, the motor. I call him Big Flow. I don't know if – don't tell him that. I, it might be already – Well, you're telling everybody that right now. Howard County's yeah, got us locked yeah. down up there. They're yeah. listening. Yeah. So yeah. So Big Flow, maybe that's already a, a standard nickname. But Big Flow um, – I can't believe the motor, but I can't believe, you know, the new age term of being able to handle the ball real well is called wiggle. He's got some wiggle with the ball up and up and down the court. There was a play in the third quarter where, you know, he got, he got, a, got the rebound probably at the top of the key and, and dribbled it down. And it was between three guys and then went and dunked it. Both of them did a chin up on the rim. And to me, He's 6'9". The first video I saw of him was in his 
you know, was, was in his home country in Africa and he was outside and it was like a steel backboard. And to think of that first video, and it was a dirt court. The first video I saw to watching him live at Kokomo high school, I was actually, I wasn't on site, but I was in Kokomo for my wife's family Christmas. Like this kid's at Kokomo. I mean, this, this is just kind of right out of a, a great storybook. Um, to see him interact with his teammates, uh, this kid's going to be special, I think. I think he's going to be special. Did they describe you in the scouting report when you were playing against kids in Michigan that had two packs a day smoking habits as having wiggle? <laughs> hey, I'm not Bedford, pal. That's Bedford. I was in the, I was in the suburbs of the greater Detroit area. They didn't smoke cigarettes. Wiggle. Dane Five wiggle. has wiggle. You've never heard that. In Clarkston, Michigan, I'm sure you had uh, Wiggle. Hey, I do have somebody tweeted at me. One wanted you to talk a little bit about Matt Painter's team so far. What's your impression on that Jeez. group? Well, I went watch uh, paint. I went watch Purdue practice. Um, I, obviously, I've seen a bunch of games. I try to watch a lot of Big Ten games. Um, Fletcher Lawyer actually is from my hometown. My dad coached him and his brother. Um, my dad actually, when he retired, that's when Fletcher decided to. Him and his family were going to move to Fort Wayne to Indiana, um, but so so I I know IU people won't like to hear this, but I kind of root for Purdue uh, because one I enjoy watching him play, but two I let let your lawyer you know I've got a best interest, but um, I think what you're what you're seeing with Purdue is really the way Coach Painter and crew want to play, you know they they. They, they come in and they wind you up. I call it winding you up with guys coming off screens in the half court. And then they decide whether they want to shoot it or punch it into a big. And it's really hard to prepare for because they have a they have so many plays. But that's the way the NBA is. Um, so it, it's not like a knock. It's not a knock. They, they prepare you for the NBA. Um, but what they do is they get guys to buy in. They've got great role players. That's the thing that's impressed me the most <clears throat> is they have guys that really buy into their role. And I think they're going to be better than last year, provided their freshmen keep improving and they stay healthy. But um, this, this is to me one of the most um, well put together Purdue teams in terms of guys buying in and in the bigger picture, I think they can be really good, and, and down the stretch, I think they can be a Final Four team. This, does this surprise you, not just in this age, but in any age of playing time, and I want my clock that these guys, at least to this point, and I asked Matt this when he was on the show last week, how difficult that is to navigate as a coach that has to be, but are you surprised these guys, as you put it, are all buying in with the amount of time that they're getting? That's, that's an, a great question, but a great observation. The thing about Coach Painter is he's not recruiting five-star guys per se. He'll mix one in every once in a while. Here's the thing. When you recruit on honesty, which Coach Painter does, and there, there's a lot of coaches like but when you recruit on honesty, you, don't, that's, you usually don't have those problems because they know the truth when they're, when they're coming in. And the truth is their son, um, you know, their player, He's, he's not a finished product, and they know where he stands. 
and they know that when they call, okay, this is exactly what we expected. Okay, Coach Painter said he wouldn't play a lot right away. He's not. Okay, now let's call Coach Painter and see what the situation is. So every step of the way, they understand that they're getting a fair shake, and I think that's what most people want. Problem is, is when your circle is so massive, to where one one bad apple or one bad voice in that circle infiltrates a player or a kid's head, and that's where you start to see the kid start to kind of second guess what the coaching staff's doing. So Dane Fife with us. He's on his way to Bloomington to watch Elon and IU coming up later on tonight. You can look for him down at the Simon Scott Assembly Hall with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So did you know Matt Ishbia, who just uh, bought the Sons of the Mercury? Yep, I know Matt. I know Matt well. What kind of dude is Matt's, he? Uh, a great guy. Besides, you know, a, an extremely rich dude. We'll start there. Yeah, extremely. If you haven't seen the Real Sports um, segment on Matt, one T, one T, not not two T's. Matt Ishbia, one T, M A T. If you haven't seen it on Real Sports, I think it's the most recent Real Sports. It's incredible. But it, it's he runs his company like he'll give he gives coach. It's like an infomercial on Coach Izzo how Coach Izzo runs his program. And all the way down to, you know, a Fortune 500 company that's being ran like the way Izzo runs his basketball program. It's a fascinating thing. But Matt was around all the time um, when I was working at Michigan State. We're the same age. He was a walk-on at Michigan State. But, um, you know, he's got Mateen Cleaves working there. He's got Antonio's, a bunch of former Spartan greats. But that's what Michigan State does. You know, if it's not Matt Ishbia, it's, it's Dan Gilbert at Quicken Loans. It's not Dan Gilbert, Tom Gores, with the, but it, it's across the board. It's not just in sports. And so, um, Matt, I just saw Matt the other day. He was at the Pacer game um, watching Draymond, and we spent some time talking um, when they played the Warriors. But <clears throat> great guy. It'll be interesting how he kind of organizes the Phoenix Suns and see if he can do the same with Phoenix that he's, Kind of that he's done with um, United Shore, just in terms of the management style. Yeah, uh, that's that's something right now. I tell you what, he's forty two. It makes me seem like a huge loser. I look in the mirror and go, well, you, "You are a joke." You are. You are. <laughs> no, and, um, I already knew it, but it just uh, it confirmed it. I think yes. Well, at least you're employed. <laughs> you're you're having the time of your life right now, aren't you? Running around, hanging out. Well, yeah, I mean, I get free dinner tonight from, from the 76 Club, so thank you for that. Nice. Uh, that's a big part. I mean, that's how I got my daughter to come with me. Oh, yeah. Is she going? Free she food, she, she went with you right now? Well, no, but I got her to, I'm got her. i getting her to come to the game with me tonight. Oh, nice. <clears throat> because it's, it wasn't the free – it was the free desserts that enticed her. But um, it's uh, – <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, yeah, I have had the time of my life being a dad. Yeah. Being a husband, it's it's been excellent, and I'm certified in insurance. Every insurance you can think of. So if there's shameless <laughs> plug for myself, if there's any insurance salesman out there that could use somebody a little help, I'm. Uh, no, I got it. I got a dude for you up here, brother. I got a dude for you up here. I got the greatest dude of all time, and Brian Near. Well, tell Brian. Look, I, I'm expensive, but I'm. I'll take the series six here soon. I'm just having the time of my life. I'm getting smarter. I don't feel like, you know, like a glorified 
gym teacher. Let's put it that way. I just I know I know it's different, um, but it, honestly, you did get to spend time with your family and probably notice things that you wouldn't get the opportunity to do. And you know, beyond your your career and what you love to do, there is something incredibly special about those particular moments and moments you would have probably missed had it been otherwise, you know? There's no question. You know, last year was the hardest I'd ever worked, you know, even working for Izzo. And time was just non-existent. But yeah. we all knew that going in, you know, we got, we're coming into a crappy situation. and We got to spend a little extra time. And um, so we knew that coming in, but, um, but you're right. Just, Having the opportunity to um, take my girls to school, to pick them up, you know, I was afforded that. My parents, they were both kind of in the, they were both teachers or in education, but they, there was always someone there when I got up and there when I got home, both of them. Um, and that was, you take for granted, but but those are the things that, that kind of make somebody whole, that round, round somebody out and you know, I think my wife will say it's even more important for girls to have their dad. Yes. So yes. prominent in their life. And, but um, it has been incredible. And uh, I'm thankful for that, for sure. Yeah. Let's not get too sentimental. No, no tears. I know. We won't. Nothing, nothing like that. But, uh, man, I know exactly what you're talking about there because I, I have had the opportunity to take both my kids to school every day of their school existence. And I would not have traded that for anything. So there is something to it. Do you have a one meter rule where you're not allowed to go within a meter of your child? My daughter, my 13 year old has a one meter rule. Like I'm not allowed to go within a meter of her on school ground. Oh man. It is. I, you know, I, I used to say that to Blake all the time. I said, brother, I'm cooler than you are. I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to be, point. you're going to be like Fonzie cool. Just by like walking into Ron Colley with me here, man, come on. Exactly. You know, my parents used to have this giant conversion van, van that they pick me up and drop me off. Sure. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. But, mine's not a mine's not a like a real cool car, but it's not a van. I mean, come on, honey, look at the bright side. I get that all the time when uh, they're all you know playing games and talking and uh, FaceTiming one another. When she's in a room and I walk in and I get told to you know close the door on my way out before i even say a word so yes i know of of what you're talking about right here too hey by the way too when i I'll let you go but um we got to go to a brown county music center show sometime hey, we'll, we'll pick in. a concert down there and and i'll get my friend christian and we'll go down there and, and see a brown county music center show cool i'd love to go yeah you buy that's good you got that'd it man great. you buy dinner you buy the ticket that'd be great we're on it hey great to hear Thanks. from you tell the family i said hello enjoy the game tonight and uh, we'll talk again soon Thank you, sir. Go Hoosiers. It's uh, Dane Fife on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Great conversation right there. If you're going to the IU game tonight, yell at Dane, tell him hello. Quick break. Back with the next. The Ride with JMV. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. The track side's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can check that out. IU and Elon. Downstairs on WIBC at 6 o'clock. You can check that out as well. 
Uh, Zach Brown Band tickets for their August show at Ruoff coming up sometime this hour. And Yacht Rock Reviews got a holiday party for you. That holiday is New Year's Eve. So a New Year's Eve party with Yacht Rock Review. When you hear a reentry Yacht Rock song, that's going to be your cue to call. That's going to be fantastic as well. Uh, coming at you over at the Mural National Center on New Year's Eve. My friend Dan, who uh, works next door at B, I think some downstairs on Hank FM as well, was asking about the return of the JMV Takeover. That is a week from Saturday. So I am also a part of New Year's Eve. A week from Saturday, New Year's Eve. And as I normally do on New Year's Eve, I think I have two of these under my belt now. But as I normally do, we'll go well past midnight. I can't just stop at midnight and say, hey, we're done. So I'll go well past midnight for you. We'll see how long it is. I know that the Colts have a game against the Giants. The next day I'm due back in here at 10 a.m. for a Colts pregame huddle for that 1 o'clock start. But now we'll give you plenty of after-midnight opportunity to celebrate here. It's right next door on B105.7. Again, a week from Saturday, New Year's Eve. My return to the JMV Takeover begins at 6 p.m. and runs through to be announced. Dane Fife, Ben Brown, Greg Rakestraw, podcast 1075thefan.com. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Indianapolis Star, he is Joel A. Erickson, who fantastically covers the Colts. I'm curious, is Jeff Saturday, in this case, as the interim head coach, more of a future head coaching possibility upon his hiring for that gig of more of an informational trusted mole for the owner what has he been more as what's being accomplished here in your estimation i i I can only i can only go off of what he said and he said he's trying to win games and trying to because it's going on his name and he's going to uh and he and he wants a chance of the job if that's true if all that stuff is true and that's what he said from the podium then then he's trying to win games and they're not doing that i'm just curious about this though if if Jim Irsay and Jeff Saturday really thought they were going to win games. Did they really think they were going to win games starting when he did with this group? And especially the decision maker with Jim Irsay in mind, it just seems like you start Jeff Saturday off in an unattainable, unwinnable, especially in the court of public opinion with Colts fans position. Maybe, but the, the alternative, the alternative that, that you, has been suggested that he's in there to evaluate you fired the head coach there's no point in evaluating you've given up on whatever was going inside the building at that point uh in terms of evaluation so i I don't know what information he would learn that would change what he'd already done if if he was somehow there to evaluate or whatever i i have to go by what they said which is we're we we see ourselves or they said we i i I see us going in the wrong direction. I need to do something to stop it. You know, it's interesting about that. Joel A. Erickson, the star, joins us. Is It, it uh, seems like that if, if you wanted that information, where I, I brought the alternative answer for you as well, a mole, informational mole, it seems like that you already pay people to tell you exactly what your team is like. So what 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 is the other you layer in know. which you might be looking for? Yeah. Yeah, you should know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think – the NFL Network suggested that when the hire was first made, and it never made sense to me. Um, it, it never made sense to me as something that that held any water because they they know what's going on in the building; they're there. 
Um, yeah, it, it didn't make sense to me at the time when they first floated that, and it doesn't make sense to me now. All right, what's your evaluation of Jeff Saturday since taking over with the one win and what has transpired the rest of the way up until this point? Uh, I he, he looks he looks. I, I hate to put it like this, but he, he looks overmatched. I mean, uh, you know that they've they've been outscored eighty three to nine in the fourth quarter of games since then, and that's that's including the Raiders game. They, it was a six six fourth quarter in the in the Raiders game. They've been outscored eighty three to nine at a time when you're supposed to finish games. Um, it, I know I know that they've had some some faster starts, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things whether you start fast or end or end terribly. The end result is they're one and four. And to me, I mean, like I said, he was brought in to, to put, he, my understanding was he was brought in by what Ursay said was that he was brought in to stop the, the downward trajectory they've been on. And one and four is worse than where they were before that. So to me, it just, it hasn't been enough. Yeah. It, it, um, it, it's why I mentioned if Jim Ursay really wanted Jeff to succeed or really wanted him to have that job. Now, you know, Mike Chappell, for example, uh, our mutual friend and colleague, does not mm-hmm. agree with me on this. But I have said all along, if if you really want to start, give him a clean slate and then, you know, sell everybody on that in the offseason. We'll have time to wear it out as far as the topic in the offseason, and they'll see what happens with a team with a fresh start. But starting where he did, Joel, we all knew where this thing was going. Regardless, maybe not as bad as it was, for example, in the the second half, you know, on Saturday or the fourth quarter uh, a week prior to that on a Sunday night in Dallas. But we all knew where this was going. It just seems like you hired him and set him up for failure. If you were going to put somebody else in there and the same thing would have happened. He well, especially especially with what they did with the offense, where, you know, the offensive coordinator was already gone. The, the real architect of the offense is the person you fired when they were head coach, uh, leaving them with, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of lot experience and design on that side of the ball, not a lot. I mean, I, I think that, you know, um, I think that some of the other guys on staff that, that didn't end up taking the play calling role um, have, have real futures in this league, especially Scotty Montgomery. But but it's you know they've said from the beginning they're short they're short staffed on the offensive side they've and then they've simplified it they've gone so simple that it feels um, like a shell of what the offense could be uh, you you weren't necessarily giving them a chance but they they didn't do that before when they I, you know I, I think when they when they first you know made the move to Ellinger and said it was going to be for the rest of the year the shock that the shockwave that that sent through the locker room and that that was the word that most players used shocking or some or some version of that it that that started something you know that started it in terms of uh, the season was headed one way and you've you've arrested it and said we're, we're kind of punting on what we were doing and I, I think that that plays a role in all this too so joel a erickson of the star covers the colts he's with us via the andy moore automotive group hotline you mentioned that you you felt that especially late game situations jeff saturday looks um, overmatched, overwhelmed, my word, not yours, does Park Frazier play-calling-wise look the same? I Play-calling-wise, it, it just – so much of it is, is play-design, too. And, and play-calling-wise, they're running the ball so much, even when Taylor's out, that I don't, I don't fully understand that. I mean, I do understand that they're not good passing, passing the ball either. Um, but 
it just feels like it's it's so run run pass, and so many of those runs are so short uh, that, that that you're putting it you're ending up in the same situation that you didn't want to be before, which is third and long, where your offensive line has to go against um, pass rushers who are teeing off. Um, it, to me, it's 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 about it's it's about the as much the play design and what they've done with the offense in terms of simplifying it as it is as it is a play calling. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. I mean, they did some end arounds and stuff like that. It, it's hard to see. I will say this: it's hard to see some of the some of the wrinkles if if it's not like an end around or something flashy. Um, but but they it, it, like you know they how many tunnel screens did they run to Michael Pittman Jr. in the second half the other day? Um, they're just they're just not running a lot of stuff. And play calling wise, it, Parks Parks is probably like we we knew this when when he got promoted to the role he. He, he was in the middle of grinding and paying his dues to get to the point where he could do this, but he wasn't anywhere near that spot. So to expect him to, to be some kind of um, play calling genius that could fix this, I, that was a, that was a mistake to begin with. The idea that play calling was the only thing wrong with the offense that that was very clearly not the case. Uh, this, this is an offense that has, has an offensive line that you can't call plays for. And so, Expecting expecting that change to fix everything, whoever was doing that was a mistake. Has the uh, play calling book has it shrank because Matt Ryan is unable to do a lot of it in the passing game? Is that why we see this? Well, the, what they've said is that, and they said this right from the beginning. They said, I mean, they they cited it as a reason that there was good for, good for the Raiders game. Why they looked better against the Raiders was if you take some of the stuff off of everyone's plate, then you have less mistakes and you have, um, and you have less, uh, less of the issues that plagued them all season long. But ultimately NFL defenses spend an awful lot of time during the week learning to identify what you're doing. And if you don't break those tendencies, you don't change those. Um, it's, it's more than just, it's more than just them throwing, not throwing the ball downfield or anything or, or stuff like that. They, they're not running a, a lot of different things, whether it's a short, short passing game or over the middle, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it, it just feels like it's, it's probably making it easier on defenses to identify what they're doing. I'll give you a great example. Did, did somebody just take Alec Pierce out of the mix on Saturday or did the Colts do that? Did the arm of Matt Ryan do that? Get- he, he didn't have, Alec Pierce didn't have a great game. Uh, I felt like he had hadn't. I felt like when I noticed him and when they targeted him, I felt like he had he had some issues with positioning. I think, you know, going up against some of those experienced corners, you know, Patrick Peterson's over there. I, I think he had a little bit of a rough game in terms of getting open downfield. But like, you know, the, the flip side is that I, I thought Pittman Jr. was open uh, with a better throw on the throw out of the goal line, and Ryan didn't get it there either. So, um, but Pierce's role, just in general, not even just Saturday, but. What they've done in terms of, you know, they've said they've said one of the biggest reasons they're not throwing downfield is they don't feel like they're they're going to have the time, more so than the arm. Like that's a lot of that stuff was what Alec Pierce was was doing in training camp and what he was supposed to do. So even more so than Saturday, uh, I think what you've seen is the fact that they're throwing it so short has taken him out of the offense. It's, uh, Joey Erickson of the Star covers the Colts with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How? How large of a net do you think they cast as far as the next head coach is concerned? And I know that, that Jim Irsay had made a couple of interesting comments about the collegiate head coaching ranks. You take and put any serious notion behind that, or is that 
just kind of the owner being the owner with information here? Well, usually when he says stuff like that, it's a hint. Um, he, he tends to he tends to he tends to hint like that. So I, I do think they're casting what what that looks like in terms of interviews and stuff like that. I, I don't know at this point, but uh, he he said it a couple different times now that they that they think that you can maybe turn over some stones that haven't been turned. So it, it could be an interesting set of interviews. Um, I mean, shoot, we've already seen it. They hired a guy to be the interim head coach <laughs> yeah. wasn't on staff, which is something that never happened. So. Um, I, I, the lesson the lesson of this cold season is expect the unexpected and 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 precedent doesn't matter. That's that's the lesson I've taken away from everything that's happened. Yeah, I just think at, at some point you keep swinging at this, it doesn't happen, then you better find yourself a bit of a groove here. And I, I can sit here and tell you right now, outside of what is not going to happen, but I think what would be certainly for this team and in the court of public opinion a cure all with a Jim Harbaugh hire or availability before that, which, again, is not going to happen. It's a pipe dream. It's a fairy tale. It won't happen. But outside of that, I don't look around the college ranks, especially with somebody that we're not thinking about right now, For Matt Campbell at Iowa State, for example, as any sort of solution here. Not at all. It hasn't worked a lot recently. I mean, if you look at the history of college coaches coming up, um, Recently, they, it, 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 they've been kind of underwhelming. I mean, Matt Rule just got fired. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is not doing well in Arizona, uh, despite having a quarterback. Uh, obviously, the, the Urban Meyer debacle that happened in Jacksonville last year. There, there's there's a lot more than that of, of guys who came up from the college ranks and didn't didn't do well. So, I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe there are some gems there. Maybe there's a Jimmy Johnson in there somewhere. But recent recent NFL history doesn't seem to suggest that it's as easy a jump to make as as it seems. I think the reason is pretty simple. In college, the head coach is the program. He is the program. He's the guy recruiting. He's the guy getting the talent. He sets it for everything. It doesn't work the same way in the NFL. There's a general manager there to get you talent. There's, uh, you know, an owner who's going who's gonna to drive things. It doesn't work that way in college. In college, the head coach is a god in some of these programs. It's just very different. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, to me, if if it's not something that really, really can change the dynamic, at least in my level of interest, and I realize that this is my personal sample size here, but if it's not that, then you know, a coordinator that's been going through this that is having success, especially an offensive one like that, would be the direction in which I would look before I'd look anywhere else. I I think they. I mean, I, obviously, I mean. I think we all assume that it's going to be a young quarterback, and my my, I'd be trying to do whatever I could to uh, place support around him. We we've seen so much in the in the NFL about how much it matters to support a young quarterback when you get him, and so that's that's if if that really is where they're headed, if they're headed towards drafting a quarterback like we all think they are, every move from here on out should be made to support that player so they have a chance of success. Because when you don't support a player they end up out of the league really fast. Yeah, I know this. I don't know how how big of an analytics guy you are, but I know you guys will occasionally keep track. Do we have any idea the number of times that maybe any any member of the scouting staff, any uh, Chris Ballard appearances might have been as far as what may end up being some of these available quarterbacks? Because honestly, this team is so crappy right now, they may end up losing their way into an opportunity to draft all but one of these guys. 
I I don't put much stock into when they go places and where, because um, they're going to end up finding a way to talk to everybody and get a look at everybody at some point or the other. Um, for every for every um, report there is, like last year when they went to Cincinnati, and then obviously they drafted Pierce. Um, for every report like that and talk about a visit like that, they did another visit somewhere else, and the guy ended up getting drafted somewhere else. It's it's one of the things that you learn is like especially I think when I first started covering the Saints. We would try to track all the visits and stuff like that, and it never turned out into something that seemed meaningful. You'd get all these visits, and especially like the, when they when we get to the top thirty visits and they bring people in, a lot of times teams do that if they have significant questions about a player, and then after the visit they go, okay, our questions we still feel strongly about it. We're not going to do that. So it's hard to read too much into that for me. Yeah, Joel Erickson, the star, joins us. When you look at this team and the drafting of a quarterback, they're slowly moving up the ranks and those possibilities. You think there's a way that they can get all the way up there to to have their choice other than maybe one of those available quarterbacks coming up in April? I I don't. They're not going to get to one because I I don't think they can catch the Texans. Um, And the Texans obviously need a quarterback. But – as long as as long as there's, I mean, they're already pretty high up there. And as long as the teams in front of them, which which is this is possible that some of the teams that might be in front of them don't end up wanting a quarterback or needing a quarterback, uh, that helps. I mean, the Colts might still might have to trade up to make sure that they're going to get one because there's going to be other teams coming from behind them. But yeah, they're they're getting into the range now, and, and if they if they continue to lose, they'll be in a range where they can absolutely get to the second pick if they need to. Joel, before I let you go here, is there a a more, or in this case, the most logical reason in your mind, because I'm a complete non-believer in this, because after six years, I've seen enough, but is there a, a most logical reason, in your opinion, why Jim Irsay seems to be dead set on bringing Chris Ballard back? Because I do believe that he is. I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but I agree he is. But what would be at the top of that list of reasons why he would get another chance? I, I think you I think you'd make the case that he's drafted well. Um he's he's shown an ability uh to understand value in terms of what he's trading away to get stuff and, and making the, the best out of some bad stuff. I mean obviously like this, this is me answering your question. I, I think oh, I, I thought for a long time that they should be tied together. If you're, if you're firing the head coach, firing the GM, whatever. Um, but it, I think that's what you would say. And then Ursay, this is an Ursay thing. This isn't a me thing. But Ursay has said, and he said, you know, his defense of him at the press conference when they introduced Saturday was, you know, it was he was coveted when he got here, and people around the league, he, he said this before at the owners' meetings, too, that people around the league really respect Ballard and what he does. Um, and so that's, that's, that's Ursay's case, I think. I think those three things are what he would, what he would use as the case. I, I could be wrong. He may have more. But, um, yeah, I, I would, I would, that's what he tried to do. I would look at the results as being hopefully at the top of that list, and it doesn't appear that it is. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think, I think from from my perspective, just, you know, struggling to fill the most important positions in football, but also struggling to fill the positions that he considers most important: offensive line, defensive line. The collapse of the offensive line this year, the defensive line has been 
always kind of been the, at the one one level below where he, he really wants it to be. Um, and then the quarterback, uh, it, it, you know, there, there's there's weapons and stuff like that. that. I think those are all the arguments again, if you're looking at something other than results. Uh, but you know, again, this is like I said, this has been a this has been a a season of um, moves that we didn't necessarily see coming or didn't, um, I guess, didn't logically consider. So. You know, I, I think that the, the 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 stuff that I cited before that's that's Ursay's big biggest points. Yeah, a lot of things probably stand out to Jim Ursay more than they would anybody else because obviously he personalizes everything with this team. But it, did you think it it comes down to that a year ago when he was sold by Frank Reich on Carson Wentz that Ballard also had to be sold, so they were kind of both on the outside of what what Frank Reich was selling them. Thus, he doesn't get covered up by that misguided trade for Wentz, which clearly the owner probably hates about as much as any move has ever been made here. Yeah, I I mean, I think that that's, I mean, given given everything that Ursula said about Wentz, I think that's that's a logical path to go down. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's what it is, but it does feel like, and especially it felt like at that press conference that the evaluation of the GM and the head coach was very different Yes, in, in the owner's eyes. Yeah. I mean, listen, we all kind of this time of year grasp at straws until we we hear more. But if, you know, you always hear about, well, this is a results-driven league and the results haven't been there. I'm not trying to fire anybody. I'm not, you know, mad at Chris Ballard. But if you're going to ask me if he deserves a seventh year, I can't sit here and honestly tell anybody that he does. The the, the interesting part is that if they're not going to make a move at GM, I think I think you're sticking with him. Yes, uh, correct. Beyond Yes, that. because think, he's going to draft that next right. quarterback, and you're not going to you're not going to get rid of him after a rookie season for your rookie quarterback. Well, and I think that that's the I think it's the right move. If you're going to stick with him, you have to stick with him because, I mean, you can't end up in a situation where, uh, after a year that you've moved on from the GM and now the head coach that you have is still there, and he's you're bringing in a GM who didn't hire him, and then you have the quarterback stuff. If you're doing it, you're sticking with it, and. At least I, that's that's the way it usually happens. It, it it just happens so in the NFL for whatever reason that the head coach ends up taking a lot more than the GM. I mean, you've seen a lot of GMs in the league who haven't had a ton of success in, in terms of wins and losses, and they've been places through a couple of head coaches. Um, you know, Arizona's one where where he's he's gotten a chance to hire a couple of head coaches and had some failed quarterback stuff and, and stay stuck around. So that's that's just sort of the way the league works. It, it's a results driven league, but those results. Uh, tend to fall more on the shoulders of the head coach than the, than the GM. One final thing, Joel, before I let you go, and thanks for coming on the show, is how, how much more of a gut punch is this season an embarrassment uh, to the owner and on down, considering the absolute flushing down the toilet that Tennessee's doing the, to themselves right now? Well, I mean, this this team, when when they made the first big move, when 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 they decided to to bench the starting quarterback and say they were going with the young guy, they were three three and one, and bypassed the the backup that the GM and the, the coach both liked. I know Foles has been has been ticketed as a right guy, but it, Ballard Ballard likes Foles too, 
Um, they were together in they were together in Kansas City. Um, and when when you made that move, you were three three and one, and now it's looking like something around five hundred is going to end up winning the division. And you wonder if there's an alternate universe where you give them a chance to stick it out. And maybe they figure something out the way they had in previous years if they're in it right now. But we're, we're so far beyond and past that in terms of record and where, where they are with the franchise because of the moves they made. That that's that's kind of just a what if at this point. You think, um, you, you think they look back on that Ellinger tryout that was obviously forced upon them by the owner as a changing point of the season? I, I do. I mean – it's it's in the NFL. I mean, one of the things that we learned with some of their turnarounds previously was that things that players respond well to is like belief, staying the course, and and finishing out, and that's that's what worked in the past. And so this was the opposite, and that's that's what I thought was was maybe the the biggest most jarring thing about the quarterback move was this isn't the way they've gone about getting out of holes in the past. The way they've gone about getting out of holes in the past was by you know, digging in and finding something that worked with who they had. And it just felt so drastic that I think it's, it, it sends that message to a locker room who's been through this before and knows that the way they got out of it before was by staying the course and figuring things out. Yeah, I would think right now, if you look back on it and the way that the season has gone, especially with Tennessee in mind, that if you're going to give a dude a tryout, you can give him a tryout right now. You don't give him a tryout at that point. And I know that that, that was forced upon them, so... And I'm sure everybody, as you mentioned, including that locker room, uh, did not dig that particular decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many people said shocked right after it that I think it, I think it was, it, it was hard to ignore. Right, and no doubt about that. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here. You and the family have a fantastic holiday, and we'll see if we figure anything out by the time you're next on the show. Yeah, you bet. You and your listeners have a merry Christmas. You got it, buddy. Thank you. To Joel A. Erickson of the Star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I just I go back to yesterday, and and there are some folks that believe this is a drafted quarterback, athletic, stronger arm, can do more things quarterback away from being a good team again. Now, I will say that you look at it in terms of the division, you can argue that. But is it? Man, this rest of the season and this offseason is going to be something. Quick break and we'll come back. I got time for you in the final 30, if you so desire. Top of the hour, we go to us again. I think it's, uh, what is the top of the hour? I forget what we call that now. Instant replay. Sorry about that. (laughs) Good Lord. Track sides at seven for you. IU and Elon College Hoop downstairs on 93 WIBC beginning at six o'clock as well. Zach Brown Band tickets and Yacht Rock Review New Year's Eve coming at you. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, there you go. Zach Brown Band coming at you. Ruoff. Music Center coming up in the month of August 2023. That is one of the big ones on the schedule right there. And you're going to have a chance to win those tickets right now. Number nine with that opportunity to win. That is August the 6th at Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. So right now the official countdown clock 
229 days, 21 minutes, 31 seconds. Until Zach Brown Band plays Ruoff on Mortgage Music Center. And number nine right here is going to go because we love you. Even if you're a jackass. Thursday's show is going to be live. Thursday's show is a Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. What is going on with Adam Schefter here? Yeah, what is this? Shirtless dancing, jumping up in the Lambo Leap stuff. What's happening here? Are we trying to nerdify somebody into cool? What's happening? A midlife crisis going on there, Schefter? <laughs> He's almost become kind of the court jester of Monday Night Football, hasn't he? Why are they doing that? Now, granted, I will also tell you that if I were a part of that broadcast and they asked me to do that, I would do it too. But why are they why are they kind of putting him into the court jester role on Monday Night Football? I thought it was the information guy. Can you be the information guy and then a clown as well? Do I play that role well here? Information guy and a clown? Hey, JMV, are you going to have somebody weather-wise on tomorrow to explain to us the incoming winter storm? I just know this, that you have the perfect storm going on right now. You have the winter storm that's supposed to hit the area coming up later on this week into the weekend. And then you have Christmas over the weekend. I mentioned earlier, I was over today at my friend Joe Childers at the CarX location. Shout out, awesome, to make sure that the truck is winterized solidly per usual. That's what you do. Maintenance, maintain at 302K. But I went to the Kroger in Brownsburg, which is a brand new, spectacular Kroger that was absolutely packed to the gills. Couldn't move. Couldn't move. And then I had to scare everybody away when I ordered this stinking medicine ball for my voice that apparently is not on the menu at Starbucks. But it is the worst tasting thing this side of Jägermeister. Could not be a worse taste out there. I don't know what it's done for my voice, but not a worse taste out there. But no, that Kroger in Brownsburg was packed. So I think what we have is the perfect storm going on here. Let me see here. What do we got as of right now? That pretty much covers everything, even all the way to the south here. It says winter storm and blizzard warnings up. Most of Indiana, including in a winter storm watch late Thursday into Saturday. Some uncertainty on snowfall accumulation still does exist. Dangerous flash freezing? What the hell is that? Bitter cold. What's flash freezing? Is that like what they do at Sub-Zero when they make your ice cream up in Carmel? They flash flash freeze that? Bitter cold near blizzard conditions will likely occur. My man Michael Wade Moss always gives me this solid weather information. Thank you, brother. Yeah, J.D. Hendricks, I think that we have to get Kurt Mallory on it, too. About the Sycamore football program putting the 8-1-2 on their helmet. Yep. A fake Derek Schultz is on board, always entertaining at 239-1070. Hello, Derek. 
Hey, happy happy Tuesday. Hey, Derek. Hey, thank you for letting me on for usually. I just I just wanted to come on and wish you and the loved ones and all the crew there at 107.5 The Fan a very Merry Christmas and holiday season day, all right? Yes, That's really you. what I want to do. That's all, Derek. You don't have any take or anything like that? Um, I, I guess I want to talk maybe a little bit about uh, the Pacers basketball here. Okay. Uh, did, I'm not sure. Did, did you pay attention to the, uh, the, the injury report at all? Uh, the injury report. I have not. Should I? Uh, you should have because I, I, I know everyone's excited. Chris Duarte's back, but, yeah. you know, it's it's been a big year for Schultz LLC Enterprises, no doubt. as I know you are familiar with. Yes, and to back from the injury report is actually me. They needed people who have experience shooting free throws in the clutch, and they thought of no one better than me. Can you believe it? Hey, I do have a question for you, Derek. Before you go, you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you at? Uh... Are you in the age group now where you need to put just for men on your beard to make sure it doesn't turn gray? I, I don't publicly talk about the hair transplant, okay? Come on. I thought, come on, this is this, this is off the air, right, JMV? Oh, yeah, we're not on. Yeah, now. completely off no, the air. come on, come on, come on. Hey, come on now. Come on. Broadcaster honesty here. You got it. Yep, I'm here for you. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So much for so much wishing you had. No, so yeah, yeah. I just uh, because I mean it, it's still pretty dark. It doesn't look like you've had any infiltration in gray beard whiskers yet. I didn't know if you dipped that in in just for men or not. Can you believe it? I'm going to be 45 in February. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah, can you Dean. That's crazy. It? You got it, buddy. Well, thank you. Happy holidays thank to you, you and the family, Derek. Hey, happy holidays. You got it. That's uh, Derek Schultz right there. My friend David Hayes says, is Jägermeister really that bad? Yes. I think so. Don't you think it's bad, Jägermeister? I'll give you a great example. Yeah, it's that bad. Are you in if somebody says, hey, let's all do a shot of Jäger? I go, hey, hold on. Because I know now it's kind of, you know, you do uh, Evan Williams Fire, for example. Right? Some kind of cinnamon whiskey shot now. You know, back in the day, it used to be Jaeger. Back in the day, it used to be Rumpelmints, Goldschlager. But when somebody comes at you with, hey, let's do a shot of Jaeger, I think that's a surefire way of everybody. You, you, the guy that asked doesn't have to pay because not a lot of people are going to do it, right? Yeah, if someone offered me a shot of Jaeger right now, I'd say no, no way. Yeah, agreed. Pretty brutal. Hey, JMV, I'm having an early dinner at Tacos and Brews on the south side. That's at 135 in Main Street, by the way. They are painfully replaying the Colts-Vikings game. Yes, you're exempt. Yeah, it's on NFL Network right up there. So a shout-out to Tacos and Brews, 135 in Main Street. JMV, the officiating was so bad this weekend, but it was evenly bad. It was evenly bad. No question. All right, quick break. We'll come back for a final time. Tomorrow's show, a little bit of insight and where you can join us on Thursday for a blast. I promise you. Jason Bush out in Greenfield says, hey, Jaeger is great. Jason Bush watches horror movies on Christmas Day. I don't know if I would buy that, JB. Quick when final time with you. Don't leave. Next. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich, a Dr. Pepper, make it fast. I'm going to...
93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Crank this up for me, Kyle, would you? I've got some classic yacht rock. Yacht rock for you here. Do we happen to know who this band is right here? All right, crank this up. Here we go, Kyle. In the heart of the night. (laughs) That is Poco, everybody. This is the heart of the night. Yacht Rock Review, New Year's Eve. $25 reserve tickets and less right now if you want to check it out. But number nine is going to win because we like you. That is going to be a hell of a New Year's Eve right there. Can you imagine? So you can go watch the show and then know when you go in that I'm going to be on doing my Jamby Takeover return on New Year's Eve. And then when your ass comes out after you've been smoothed to death by Yacht Rock Review that I'll still be on. Because I'm going to tell you this, it's not just we're going to ring in the new year and then I'm going to pick up and bail. We go well into the early morning hours. All request style on the return of the JMV takeover. That's New Year's Eve right next door on B105.7. Bigger, better, badder than ever in 2023. But now you can go to the Yacht Rock Review Show, have a great time, hang out with Jimi Hendrix. You'll hear me going in, then you hear me coming out. Great time. And believe me, if there is a party band around that you want to ring in the new year with, Yacht Rock Review is it. Hey, by the way, too, Nick tells me that tacos and brews at 135 in Smith Valley. Way to go, host numbnuts. Way to get that address accurately. (laughs) Uh, Get him and associates on board, by the way, too. Shout out to Jason and the gang over there. My man Marcus, I saw them earlier today. Get him and associates on board with this show and on board with the JMV Takeover says Jaeger might help my voice. How do you think the voice held up today? I think you're improving from yesterday. Yeah. We'll see how you are tomorrow. Yes. See if there's, again, more improvement coming up on tomorrow's show. You guys were fantastic today. I know that it's Christmas break, and I know everybody's out and about uh, either getting Christmas gifts or buying bread and milk for the incoming winter storm later on this week. But I want to thank you for hanging around here, as you always do. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, you guys are aces. You really are. Thank you. The stream, the app, HD Radio. And to our friends who joined the show, Joel A. Erickson, Dane Fife. Ben Brown and Greg Rakestraw podcast 107.5thefan.com great job from Kyle Udemark IU Elon downstairs WIBC track sides at 7 tonight right here have a great night